I'm Dave Anthony, Fox News Radio, and we're spending a few moments with Bobby Rydell, who years ago was like the Justin Bieber of his era. <laughs> Bobby, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Dave. Thank Is that okay? You. Justin, oh, are you absolutely. okay with that? Well, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, fair enough. Would you have another name in mind well, that you that, might relate that, uh, to? Uh, Frank Sinatra. Okay, <laughs> all right. Yeah, no, but uh, Alan, uh, Alan Slutsky, who's my, you know, my co-author, he said, if this ever becomes, you know, uh, uh, a screenplay and it's made into a movie, he said, uh, who would you like to play you? And he said... Justin Bieber, really, <laughs> and you're still still warming up to the idea. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. the book that uh, Bobby's referring to is out. Bobby Rydell, Teen Idol on the Rocks: A Tale of Second Chances, and we'll get into a lot of these different elements. But first of all, Bobby, this is a, a long time coming for you. I mean, you yeah. you were a big star starting in the late 1950s. Correct. Yeah. Well, the way the book happened, Dave, is that you know traveling on the road for my God, it's close to six decades now. And, you know, after a show, you sit around and you're talking to people. And I've always had stories. And everybody, you know, to a person would say, Bobby, you have so many stories. Why don't you write a book? Mm-hmm. I said, who the heck wants to read a book about me? No, you but know. come on. People loved you. Well, you and know, still this, do. Well, this was back then. You know, I was still, you know, in my teens and my early 20s. But now I'm 74 years old. Okay. And, you know, I've got an awful lot to talk about. So well, you're a little more seasoned now. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Going back, though, how did it all start for you? How did you become okay. suddenly you're on American Bandstand all the time? And, yeah. and, and then you have hit single after hit single. And, and you're, you're a teenager. The person who is responsible uh, for my career was my dad. And it says so in the book. I mean, um, my dad was my champion, man. And if I had any talent within me whatsoever, my father was the first one to see it. Matter of fact, when my dad was overseas, I was about three years old, and my mom and my dad would write back and forth to one another, and my mom would write, you know, the baby's always singing, the baby's always singing, and my father wrote back, and I have the letter at home to this day. Yeah, and he says, who knows, maybe one day we'll have a star in the family. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, Really, really. So my dad used to take me around to clubs when I was seven, eight years old. Now, what was your dad doing? My dad was a machine shop worker. You know, he worked for a, p- a company called the Electronite Carbon Company. At times, he would, you know. But he loved music. Oh, he, uh, he, my dad took me when I was five years old to a, a theater in Philadelphia called the Earl Theater. And my father loved big bands. Okay. And I was exposed to that music at a very early age. So he took me to see an afternoon performance of Benny Goodman. Benny Goodman. And who's playing drums for Benny Goodman but a guy by the name of Gene Krupa. Oh, yeah, I'm familiar with And Gene I Krupa. said to my father, I don't know who that guy <laughs> is, Daddy, but I want to be him. You and know, I started playing drums when I was five, six years old. And he's a legend, Krupa. Oh, I mean, oh, oh. A, a lot of people who have grown up listening to music like in my, my generation, know names like John Bonham, you know, Led Zeppelin and Keith Moon of the Who. Yeah, well, uh, but Krupa was a, uh, 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 his mean, era. Oh, I mean, he oh, was oh, a for legend. Sure. I mean, you go, go you bet, uh, Gene Krupa, Louis Belson, Buddy Rich, you know, all of those guys, you know, they were, you know, phenomenal players. And, you know, when I saw Gene play at five years old, I said, yeah, I want to I want to be him. So anyway. So did my you da- drum right away uh, as a kid? I, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I took lessons for a couple of years in Philadelphia. And my teacher at that time, God rest his soul, his name was Sam D'Amico. He said, Bobby, I can't teach you anymore. He says, if you want to study further, you have to go to New York. 
I said, nah, man. I said, I just want to play. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm ready to play, man. I want to play some music. <laughs> so, But my dad would take me around, and I would sing and do some impersonations, and uh, it really all started. I sat in one night uh, with a band called Rocco and the Saints okay, and a place called Bay Shores in Summers Point, New Jersey. Dear friend of mine was playing trumpet in the band, and that was Frankie Avalon. He called me, because Frank and I have known one another since okay. I was 10 years old. All right. And Frank said, you know, Bobby, Chippy Broncata's sick. Can you come and you know, sit in, fill in, you know, just one night, which I did. And there was a guy playing bass with the lead group. Uh, The group was called Billy Duke and the Dukes. (laughs) And his name was Frankie Day. And after one of the sets, he comes over to me and he says, I'd like to manage you. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I was like 14, 15 years old. I said, talk to my father. And that was the beginning of it. And there was no contract with just a handshake. And we went around to all of the major record companies all turned down, turned down, turned down. Yes, yeah, so, well, you know, this is really not for me. You know, I was really happy playing drums. So we finally went to a place called Cameo, and it was an independent label in Philadelphia. And a man by the name of Bernie Lowe was the owner of the company. And I auditioned for him, and I signed the contract. And then and how quick from that point I on? Had, I had three records for Cameo. They all bombed. They did nothing. I said, this is really not for So me. here you are. You're getting rejected over and over again. Uh, yes. The records go nowhere. Right. So you're like, well, I guess, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's it. I, I was happy playing drums. If that's, if that's going to be my, my profession, you know, my career, I'm happy with that. So then what happens? And then all of a sudden, a song called Kissin' Time came up. And that was the summer of 1959. Bernie Loeb brought the acetate, the dub, to Dick Clark. And Dick, you know, put the needle down on the record, and right at the beginning is like a hand clap and a bass drum thing, ba bum bum. And Dick said, "That's a hit," and that's how it started. And then you had more and more hits. Yeah, yeah, I was lucky. I had a, a, a string of uh, you know single records and, and, and albums as well. And you got yourself into the top five. You got yourself a lot of top forties. Oh my God! In a, yeah. in a, in a short window of years. Yeah, you know, I never had. I never had a number one record in either Cashbox or Billboard. Now, did you now, watch every week? Were you? Were you? Oh yeah, we always used yeah. to watch the trade papers. You know, I think the highest I got up to was two. Yeah. You know, Volati, which was my the, my uh, my second million seller. Wild One was the first, and a song called Forget Him was my third million seller. But none of them. Made I think m- Wild One got two. Is that the one? I, uh, uh, I think it, it might have been. Probably. I think the the three songs that I just mentioned, Wild One, Volati, and Forget Him, I think went up to two. Okay, so they all got to two. Yeah, I think but they so. just couldn't. never never got to one. That's okay. <laughs> You've done all right. You know. Yeah. Thank God. You know. You know. Maybe local radio stations across the country, sure. you know, uh, the, the Wild One was number one on their playlist, you know, but, but not in the trade papers, not in Cashbox or Billboard. So you're going through this time, here you are, it must have been a whirlwind, right, you're, year after year, hit after hit. What happens? All of a sudden, 64 comes, and you're not making top five songs anymore. How does that happen? Uh, how does it happen? I, I guess, you know, a, a lot of it can be uh, likened to, you know, when the British invasion happened, you know, and it killed not only me, but a lot of American artists because all of the jockeys across the country sure. just started playing British material. Beatles, yeah, Stones. You know, yeah, yeah, all of that. And, you know, it took them, you know, quite a few years to say, hey, you know, we're forgetting about, you know, the American artists. But at that particular time, you know, 64, my, my recording career was over. You know, my, how my, old are you in 64? Uh, well, let me see. I was born in 42. So 
you're 22 years I'm old. 22, and you're recording. Chris and Albert? I was, I'm, I was that, done. That, <laughs> that, defi- that, that, that blows my I mind. Was looking for a job, <laughs> but so what? Well, you know, I just kept on working. You know, doing the clubs and concerts mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. You know, thank God. You know, uh, the name. You know, Bobby Rydell has meant an awful sure. lot over the years. So uh, you know, just continue to uh, keep working. You and know? so you just every year you've been going out, right, and doing this. Mm-hmm. But then, what happens? And we're talking about a tale of second chances. So right. how, how do we get to, to today and how? Okay. Well, the tale of second chances and the title, you know, Bobby Rydell, Teen Idol right. on the Rocks, that all became because of drinking. Right. And I became an alcoholic. When and, did you start? Oh, this is quite a few years ago. I, I don't remember. Well, let me see. My wife passed away. <clears throat> my first wife passed away in 2003 via breast cancer. Okay. And when and we were married for thirty six years, Dave. So when that happened, there was a void. Oh, I yeah. mean, a, you know, a tremendous void, and you know, nobody to lay down in bed with, nobody to talk to, nobody to laugh with, nobody right. to cry with, you know. And I turned to drinking, you mm-hmm. know? and that was two thousand three. What and about your friends? What they say? What they do? I, I, you know, I, w- I was never, you know, a fall down drunk type of guy. I, I always handled myself very well. As much as I drank, I was never really cockeyed. Okay, okay? you weren't fall down drunk. No, no. Right. And matter of fact, I think if I got a little cockeyed, I was happy. I was mm-hmm. funny. You right. Know? And uh, it, nobody really ever caught on until later on in years. You know, I'm working with Frankie Avalon, Fabian. We have a show called The Golden Boys, which we started back in 1985. And uh, it came to a point where, you know, Frankie and Faith said, Bob, you know, you got to take care of yourself, man. You know, you're drinking mm-hmm. too much. Not that it didn't affect the performance, you know. Were you mad? No, no. I, it, matter of fact, you know, I, I, I thought it was very nice. Okay. I mean, they had been friends for God knows how many years. So you years. took it to heart. I took it to heart, and I didn't stop. I didn't stop drinking, but I drank so much that I went to a doctor in 2010. His name was Dr. Newman, a hospital called Lankanaw Hospital in Philadelphia. And he's looking at my blood work, and he says, Bobby, he said, if you don't stop drinking, he said, you're going to be dead in two years. And uh, then I, I, I started laughing. I said, well, then, so if I'm going to be dead in 10 years, I might as well just drink a lot more, you know. And uh, he was right on because in 2012, I had a double transplant. I had a, a new liver and a new kidney put inside me. And July the 9th of this year will be four years wow. since uh, the two organs. Yeah. That is, that is something. So you find out <clears throat> in 2012 that he was right. Yes, he whole yes he was. And yeah. so what then? I mean, what do you do? You're staring death in the face. You know what? You're right, Dave. I'm, I'm I, because the doctor told my wife after the surgery, which was better than 20 hours, you know, to put 20 both, hours yeah, in the OR. And his wonderful surgeon, his name was Cataldo Doria, and he spoke, you know, with a broken and he said to my wife, if a Bobby didn't get the, the new liver, he said maybe maybe 2 weeks and I would have no been gone. Way. But I went into the OR with a clear head. I figured to myself, I'm either going to die in the OR, right. or if everything works out okay, I got a 50-50 shot. And that's the way, that's the way it happened. You know? Normally, uh, another doctor was telling me, he says, be prepared you know, after your surgery, if everything works out well, to be in the hospital for a month, 
possibly two months. And I was in the hospital, I think it was six, seven days, and Dr. Cataldo Doria come in, and he says, Bob, he says, I think you're going to go home in maybe three, four days. Come on. Ten days after my surgery, I was home. Now, don't you have to take all these drugs to, so yeah, you uh, don't yeah, reject yeah, these absolutely, organs? Absolutely, yeah, and that's for the rest of my life. But that, you know, that's not a big price to pay. No, you know? no, you'll take all the pills you need. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, you know, yeah. give, me, give me some more pills. <laughs> whatever, whatever, whatever <laughs> yeah, I have right. to have. And uh, matter of fact, Alan and uh, Alan Slutsky and uh, they came over to my house. Uh, Craig uh, Craig Thomas on bass and the, the guy who used to play drums for me, Joe Nero. I just wanted to see. This was about a couple of months after the surgery, and I just wanted to do some tunes. And it was coming out, but uh-huh. and I turned to Craig, the bass player. I said, "Craig, I said, truthfully, man, what what, what do I sound like?" He says, I don't know, man. Sounds like Bobby Rydell to me, man. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so then uh, a few months after that, I got together with another friend. His name Lucy Osi had a big band at a place called the Clef Club in Philadelphia. It was a jazz club. I asked him if he would put the band together to see if I could do my show. And we did. And how it came out. I scared myself. You know, it was, the, the voice came back. Everything was cool. Strength? You're okay? And, I mean, everything you're... was wonderful. Yeah, I mean, as far, you know, the I didn't have, you know, as far as stamina, you know, so mm-hmm. far, because, you know, the surgery was only, sure. you know, and then uh, six months after the surgery, I'm working in Vegas. I did three nights in Vegas, and everything was wonderful. When you do a show <clears throat> now, yeah. um, what do people hear? What do they hear? Yeah. Well, obviously, some of those hits that oh, they know. Oh, yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah, because people come to hear. You know, they, they come to hear the hits. But, you know, I'm at the age right now where, you know, years ago, you know, the tunes that I kind of grew up with and listened to at 17, 18 years old, nobody's going to believe me singing Willow Weep for Me, you know. <laughs> but at 74 year, years old now, uh, one, of the, one of the tunes I do in my show, I call it the Saloon Medley. And it's three songs from Sinatra's Only the Lonely. And the songs are Angel Eyes, What's New, and One for the Road. You know, at, at my age now, I can do those type of tunes. So, you know, I do my hits and I do American, American Songbook. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you just want to continue to play and sing as long as you can. Uh, oh, absolutely, Dave. Yeah, I mean, as long as the chops are still there and I'm feeling good. I feel, you look you know, great. Thank you very much. Thank you. I feel wonderful, other than the fact that now I have, uh, and I can't be operated on because the doctor won't touch me because, mm. God forbid, you know, something happens, sure. you know, get some kind of infection. I've got bone on bone, my both knees, you Ooh. know, and that's kind of tough, you know. But You can sit uh, for a show. Uh, well, no, it's not that I, I, I sit all the time, but there is a stool. There you go. <laughs> there is a stool on stage. Just in case, you know, they're starting to feel a little tired. No yeah. one's going to be upset about that. No, no, absolutely. I saw not. Kenny Rogers not too long ago. He sat down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Kenny's great, you know. Oh, he Kenny. was fun. Oh, yeah, he's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you know, once again, as long as the chops hold up and physically I feel fine, you know, um, I'll keep doing it. Yeah, I mean, let's, you know, God bless him. What, Tony Bennett? What is he, going to be 90? Amazing going to be 90. And that huh? guy, he, he just... I mean, you know, I remember listening to him when I was like 10 years old. He out, he not only outlasted Sinatra, he outlasted Sinatra Jr. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. Tony know, Bennett, it's amazing what he does. It really is. You know what? You know, uh, I, and I knew, you know, I knew the old man. I knew Mr. Sinatra, and I was very friendly with, with the old man. And also his son, Frank Jr. And uh, I was due to work the place where he passed away, and that was in Daytona, Florida at a place called the Peabody Auditorium. And he passed away the night of his show. 
He, he was, I believe it was a Wednesday night, and I was doing the same theater the following this Saturday. Frank Jr. Yeah, yeah. Frank Jr. passed, yeah. and I was doing the same theater, and there was a guy by the name of Merle who was uh, Sinatra's, uh, the old man, Sinatra's bodyguard, was with the old man for years, and then when he passed away, he went on with uh, Frank Jr., and just to put a little levity, you know, in, in the situation, he said, uh, Bobby, he said, uh, you're staying at the same hotel, you know, that Frank Jr. stayed in. He said, whatever you do, don't check into room 411. <laughs> <laughs> I saw him a couple of years ago uh, play in Vegas at the MGM, and, uh -huh. and he, he put on a great show, yeah. singing his dad's songs. Oh, it was great. He's a fine singer. It's unfortunate. You know, it's kind of tough shoes to fill. Yeah. You know, being Sinatra's Absolutely. son or Steve Lawrence's son or, or how, Tony Bennett's son. I mean, son. but Sinatra, I mean, he is the... <laughs> Boom. Yeah. You know. That ain't I easy. remember when I met him. I was 19 years old. I met him here in New York at the Copa. I was 19. I got back to the hotel and I called my mother. I said, Mom, I just met God. <laughs> <laughs> you were the youngest guy to ever headline yeah, that, right? Yeah, yeah huh? 19 years old, the youngest uh, performer to ever headline the uh, Copacabana. Do you think you appreciated it looking back? Oh, absolutely. Okay, so you, you, you know you appreciated everything at the time it was happening oh, to you. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, when, when I was seven, eight years old, and my dad used to take me to these little clubs, you know, in Philadelphia. Ask the club owner, can my son get up and, you know, yeah. and, you know, yeah, I get up. And, of course, you know, animal acts and children acts, you know, you get a round of applause. Sure. And, that, well, that's a heck of an impression. I mean, all I have to do is do this and they do that. What a great feeling, you know. So that stuck with me, you know, all through my – and then to be able to work, you know, places like the Copacabana, sure. you know was a thrill. And still be doing it today. <clears throat> Absolutely. And I imagine you love what you do. I do. You know, if something would have happened, you know, with the liver and the kidney transplant and it was over, you know, I, I really don't probably commit suicide. I really, you know, I, I, I really don't know. I guess I could still play drums, you know. But none of that happened and here you are. And here I are. And you're still going. <laughs> yeah. And the book is Bobby Rydell, Teen Idol on the Rocks, A Tale of Second Chances. Congratulations on the book. Thank you ever so Good much, Good luck Steve. with it and continued success. Uh, may have just plugged it a little bit go for, for it for those of you who care to buy the book you can buy it at amazon amazon.com uh barnes and noble or you can write to bobby rydellbook.com are you on facebook i think i'm on there you know i don't know my <laughs> wife handles all of that thing. <laughs> i understand twitter that. and facebook yeah. and uh didn't have that in 59 no no all this social media we barely stuff. had televisions then that, that's right yeah when i was 10 years old i was on a show called the paul whiteman tv teen club gave amateur talent a chance to get a break, you know, in the business. And I won on the show. And their sponsor was Tootsie Rolls. So I got a box load of Tootsie Rolls <laughs> <laughs> and a color, RCA color TV Come set. Come on, that had to be a big deal at oh all. Oh, my God, are you kidding? Yeah, that was yeah. a big deal. But it still had the rabbit ears. <laughs> I don't think it's going to get digital cable now <laughs> no, I don't think or so. satellite. <laughs> All right, Bobby, thank you very much. My pleasure, Dave. Thank you. We just spent a few moments with Bobby Rydell. I'm Dave Anthony, and this is Fox News Radio. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. 
Listen to Fox News Podcast shows ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or follow wherever you get your podcasts.